Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. Super excited about um, this series we've been in on the book of Ephesians. How many of you have enjoyed the book of Ephesians so far? Everybody enjoyed it? <clears throat> we are actually in part seven. How many know that's a long series? Um, and we're probably not gonna finish the entire book. Uh, today I'm gonna be going to Ephesians chapter four. I'm not sure exactly if I'm gonna tackle chapter five or chapter six next week, um, but then we'll, we'll conclude it. We may come back and pick it up later, um, but I'm excited. If you've missed any of the messages, you listen. Each one of them will stand on their own, so that means if you've missed all of them, you'll still get something today. But I still wanna encourage you to go back and listen to every one of those messages. I promise it'll be a blessing to you and your family. Today I wanna talk to you about this topic, I am forgiven, I am forgiven. Hit somebody and say, I am forgiven. That was very weak. Hit somebody else and say, I am forgiven. All right, that's our topic today. Uh, Ephesians chapter number four, starting in verse number 25. We'll be reading from the NIV. It says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Powerful portion of scripture. And we're gonna break that down as we go through the message today. But one of my favorite books of the entire Bible uh, in the Old Testament, y'all know Ephesians is my favorite book, but another favorite of mine is the book of Old Testament book of Ruth. How many of you have read the story of Ruth, right? Incredible story. Um, and in the story of Ruth, we're introduced to this woman who becomes a central figure to the story. Her name is Naomi. She's one of God's people, and she lives in the great nation of Israel. But the Bible says that a famine hits that land and a great economic crisis follows. And because of that, her husband makes a foolish decision by leading his family to relocate and the move is a big deal because in that day, they were leaving God's presence at the temple 
And they were also leaving God's people in Israel. And he takes his wife and their sons and they relocate to a pagan land. And there, the sons marry godless women and the man, the husband, Naomi's husband, he dies and his sons die and this woman is left destitute, poor, and alone. Again, her name is Naomi and her identity was that as a daughter of God. Her life was supposed to be sweet. That's what the name Naomi means. The name Naomi means sweet or sweetness. And things became so dark for her and difficult for her that in Ruth chapter one, verse 20, she makes this statement. She says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because my life has become very bitter. She changes her name, and in so doing, she's redefining her identity by her hurt, by her suffering, and by her loss. The worst day of her life becomes the most defining day of her life. And in asking others not to call her Naomi, but to call her Mara, she was saying, don't call me sweet any longer, but but call me bitter because this moment has now identified me. And my question today is, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, are you Naomi sweet or are you Mara bitter? And this is so important because this topic in more than 20 years of ministry, the one thing that is a consistent in my life when I meet with people is people coming in and their soul is heavy because they have allowed a root of bitterness to grow up in their life. There's people that have wronged them, people that have hurt them, people that they can't forgive, things they can't get past, and and nothing's worse than a bitter Christian. I wanna give you some characteristics this morning of of what bitter people look like, characteristics of bitter people. Number one, bitter people are archaeologists. Bitter people are always digging up the past. If you talk to someone who is bitter, they will continually revisit painful circumstances from their past. They can't move on. They always return to it. Their life is stuck. They talk about the day their life was ruined, the day their hope was lost. They are archaeologists, constantly digging up the past. Secondly, bitter people remember intricate details because they keep a record of wrongs. And this is important because 1 Corinthians 13 says love keeps no record of wrongs. You can tell that someone is bitter when they have a long, intricate, detailed detailed list of everything that was done to them. That, That is a sign you are bitter because you are now keeping a list. You have a record of wrong. Love keeps no record. Love forgets. Love moves on. Love moves past it. But bitter people, they never move past it. 
They have intricate details of what happened. When, when people are bitter, they can tell you the day it happened, what the weather was, what you had on, what was your facial expression when you said what you said or you didn't do what you were supposed to do. They have every single detail lined out because bitter people remember intricate details because they keep a record of wrongs. Number three, bitter people are triggered less by the offense and more by their love for the offender. You may wanna write that one down. Bitter people are triggered less by the offense, like what happened to them, they're actually triggered more by their love for the person who hurt them. Um, and what I mean by this if, is if a complete stranger did something against you, if a complete stranger sins against you, they do something detestable to you, you're probably not bitter 10 years later because you don't have any relationship with the stranger. Usually the people we're bitter against and bitter at, it's because we love them. It's, it's how many know, it's the people that are closest to us that have the potential to make us bitter, right? It's, it could be a spouse, it could be a parent, it could be a child, it could be a, a, a ministry leader, someone that we respect a lot. And so when they do something that we deem as inappropriate or sinful, it's not so much what they did, it's who did it. I can't believe my expectation was higher. How many's ever been let down by someone that you had high expectation for? Right, it's painful. Why, because your expectation is high. You believe that they have your best interests at heart. And so we struggle. And the Bible says that when, um, in Ruth 1 and 20, when Naomi said, don't call me sweet anymore, but call me bitter, she says in verse 20, she said, call me Mara, because the Lord has made my life very bitter. I want you to see something about that. She's saying, yes, this situation hurt. This situation is difficult. But you know God is sovereign, and if he allowed all these things to pass through his open hands, and he didn't capture or stop this affliction, but he allowed it to rain down on me, then he is complicit in my suffering. And so a lot of people, they take their bitterness past people and now they are bitter at God because we're like, God could have stopped this. God could have prevented me from getting hurt so deeply. And we may not even say it out loud, but we have a, we ha we have a feeling about God allowing this to happen. Number four, bitter people are prone to be self-righteous since they are the perceived victim. Bitter people sit on a throne and they pronounce verdicts on everyone else because they are the victim. They went through the pain, they went through the trauma, and now they are judge, jury, and executioner. They, they, it all falls in their life. They feel that because of what I went through, I now have the right to be judgmental of everyone because I'm the victim. And what Paul is writing in Ephesians chapter four is stop it. Stop it. Get all bitterness, all rage, all malice, all slander, dig it up. 
get rid of it. Now, I'm gonna give you real quick, before we get back to the text, I wanna give you five ways people become bitter. Five ways that they become bitter. Now, here's a disclaimer. The first four are illegitimate reasons. All right? So if you have bitterness because of the first four reasons I'm gonna give you, you are actually in sin. Everybody glad to be in church? Yeah, I thought so. I'm gonna give you four, and then on the fifth one is a legitimate reason, but then we're gonna give you the antidote for it, okay? Number one, number one, you wrongly think they have sinned against you. They haven't sinned against you, but you think they've sinned against you. You've got your facts wrong. It's a lie. It didn't really happen, and whatever did happen, you know, doesn't justify your bitterness. And so many people, they think they've been wronged, they think they've been sinned against, they think something's been done to them, and and this is why when it comes to conflict and when it comes to forgiveness and bitterness, how many know we need to, to get our facts straight? We need to get our facts straight because there's a lot of people in church that come to me and say I'm offended or I'm bitter and here's why, and when they get done, I'm like, you don't even have a reason to be mad. Your facts are way out of line. You need to do some more investigation. You need to get to the bottom of this. You don't have a reason to be bitter. Number two, again, this is illegitimate. You have unreasonable or unspoken expectations that are unmet. Unreasonable meaning you were expecting someone to say, do, or be something to you, and they disappointed you. And because they didn't meet this unreasonable or unspoken, unspoken expectation, you are now hurt by something that they didn't even know they were responsible for. How many times in church? Well, you didn't come to my party. I'm offended. I invited you. Maybe they didn't know it was an expectation that your all's relationship would be over if they didn't drop by. Come on, y'all. Come on, hit somebody and say, it ain't that deep. And we get offended over things that, these unmet expectations that we didn't even clearly communicate what we wanted, and because they didn't meet an expectation we never clearly communicated, we're now offended by an action they didn't know they needed to live up to. And now we're bitter, illegitimate. If that's where you are, you're in sin. Number three. I love this one because this one has been turned in to church hurt. There is church hurt legitimate and there's church hurt that's illegitimate. Um, But they rebuked you and because you were hard-hearted and you were hurt, you became bitter. And the way this works in, in the church, do you know that we are to righteously judge one another, that means if I see something in your life as your pastor and I know it's wrong, it doesn't line up with God's word, and I speak to that, that's in accordance to the word of God as my responsibility. But do you know what happens when you tell Christian people you've got sin and you need to deal with this? They're church hurt. And they actually change the conversation from their sin to your tone. 
Well, I don't like the way you, no, you don't like that I, that I shed light on it. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, did you know we are supposed to hold one another accountable? And what I see in the church sometimes is us celebrating sinful behaviors of other Christians instead of calling them higher. We got to get back to what the Bible says, and if we see something in someone's life that is out of the character of Christ, that we have a conversation, and we're all grown up enough, and we're all mature enough to hear the conversation and not get bitter about it, but say, you know what? You're right. I need to get this under the blood and repent and move closer to Christ. That's not church hurt. Stop your whining. You're making God's church look bad. You're making Jesus look bad because you're labeling something church hurt has nothing to do with church hurt. You're living in sin and you don't want to talk about it. I'm preaching real good right now. Number four, you're jealous of them. Again, these are all illegitimate. Jesus' brother James says in James 3, 14, this phrase which is, uh, insightful, really insightful. He speaks of a condition that he calls bitter envy and selfish ambition. And it's not ambitious for the glory of God, it's ambitious for self. That we struggle to celebrate when God opens up a door for someone else if we haven't gotten a door open ourselves. So it's not ambition for God's glory, it's personal ambition, that we can't celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life because we feel like if God blesses them, then I'm left out. But I need to remind some people today that God is so big and has so much blessing that he can bless them and you. But he can't bless you if you've got a bad attitude. And God doesn't promote a mess. He's not gonna open a door up if you've got selfish ambition. If you got bitter envy and selfish ambition, and you can see this happening in people's lives because here's what it looks like. For some people, it's because a sibling, a brother or sister in their life, that, that they were known as the cute one or the athletic one or the gifted one. And, and, and everybody kind of talks about, oh, they're good looking and man, they're bright and look at how athletic. And because of that, resentment builds up for a sibling. And, and you can see it play out in people's lives and, and, and somebody gets a job, they get promoted and the people that should celebrate the most are now mad that you got a job and got promoted. Or now you're dating and you found the love of your life, you're getting married, you're gonna have this beautiful wedding and instead of them celebrating, they're like, why do you always gotta talk about it? You don't have to rub my nose in it. How many know that's called bitter envy and selfish ambition? All of these are illegitimate reasons to be bitter. But a lot of people are bitter for illegitimate reasons. Number five, this is the one that is legitimate. Number five, you have been sinned against. The fifth category is the group I wanna spend the remainder of this sermon speaking to. In large part, because you have been sinned against. You're the victim of sin. You're the victim of wrongdoing. And it's not just you seated on your throne rendering a verdict, but when you've truly been sinned against, 
as a child of God, it's not about you sitting on the throne, passing out judgments and verdicts. It's God seated on the throne saying himself, that was wrong. See, when we are sinned against, we have two options. There's only two. When you have been sinned against, when I have been sinned against, there are two options, bitterness or forgiveness. There's not a third option. There is no third option. I can choose to be bitter or I can choose to operate in forgiveness. No third option. So who is it today that you might be bitter against or potentially bitter against who has sinned against you? When I bring this topic up, is there someone that comes into your mind? Is there a person, a family, that has betrayed you or disappointed you or harmed you? To all those that may be here this morning, I don't think God would have me preach a message like this unless there were bitter people in the room. But when this happens, we tend to think that because we have been sinned against, we, we begin then to justify our bitterness. And we begin to talk about what they did, what they did to us, what they said, and, and now we're bitter, but we're justified in it. But I want you to know today that no one can make you bitter. They're responsible for their sin but you're responsible for your bitterness. Amen. <laughs> Amy Carmichael was a gifted missionary, and she had this insightful analogy. She says this, quote, for a cup brimful of sweet water cannot even spill one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. And that is the way your heart works. Someone sins against you, and what happens when someone sins against you is that what's already in you begins to spill out of you. They're not making you bitter, they're actually exposing your bitterness. They're, they're not changing your heart, they're actually exposing your heart. And if there's sweet water in your soul and someone sins against you, they're exposing, not changing what is in you. You can't say, I was only sweet water until they said what they said, and now I'm bitter water. No, the bitter water was already in there. They just bumped into you, and what was in you began to spill out, and you choose to either be sweet or you choose to be bitter. But either way, it's your choice. I know we don't like this type of sermon because we all would rather get up under the covers and talk to everyone. Do you know what they did? Get over it. Get over it. How much more of your life are you going to waste? How much more of the anointing of God on your life and calling are you gonna throw in the trash? How many more days are you gonna waste rehearsing intricate details of something that happened four years ago, seven years ago, some of you 15 years ago? It's time to dig up the root of bitterness. There's only two options. I can be bitter or I can forgive, but I, it's my choice to make. It's my choice to make. And I believe that for some today, today's the day that you close the book 
on that bitter season. If you believe that, let's give Jesus a shout of praise right there. Today's the day. Now watch this. I'm gonna give you some things that Paul, get, we read it in, in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. He gives us some things to do. Number one, Paul says, watch your gossip. Man, church people are the gossiping most, I mean, I'm telling you. Gossip, 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 and wonder why you're still sick, wonder why you're still broke, wonder why your relationships aren't working, wonder why you're not getting favor, wonder why your life's not being promoted, and Paul, the first thing he said is watch your gossip. And in this culture, it's so easy to gossip. It used to be you had to run into somebody. But now we can text our gossip. We can post our gossip. We can email our gossip. Every single day we have all these opportunities to participate in gossip. And gossip is when I talk to people about people. It's gossip. I don't care how much you try to spiritualize that. When you talk to people about people, you are now in gossip. Unless you're talking to people about how amazing they are. If, if all you're doing is talking to them about how bad they are and what they did to you, you are a gossip. And God is not happy with you. And the Holy Spirit is grieved by what you're doing. There is never a moment when God is like, yes, talk about them some more. Yes, that's my kids. Never a moment when God is excited about us as followers of Jesus gossiping. Some of us, we, we say, well, I can't talk about it. Yeah, you can. How about this? Talk to the Lord about it. Talk to Jesus about it. In, in Proverbs 26 and 20, make a note of that verse. I'm gonna come back to this because it says, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. That ought to be, somebody ought to put that on your fridge this week. What he says is that a conflict between believers is like a fire. And gossip is like bringing wood to the fire. It's like bringing wood to the fire. And the more you talk and the more you're inviting other people, hey, bring your wood. The fire's going down. Bring your wood. Hey, this fire is about to go. Bring your wood. And what we do is we gather everybody's gossip, gather everybody's wood, and throw it on the fire because at the end of the day, what we're really saying is we want to burn everything down. That's what gossip does. And gossip can burn your family down. It can burn your business down. It can burn your small group down. I've watched gossip tear churches apart. All because, because listen, when gossip is occurring and you're a true follower of Jesus, you've got two options. Bring wood to the fire or go pour some water on the fire. And I believe the Holy Spirit is looking for some people to stop bringing wood to the fire and start bringing some water to the fire and let's put out the gossip. Paul says, watch your gossip. Secondly, he says, uh, let, let me just go ahead and deal with this. We're, we may be here a while. Um, sometimes what this means 
To stop the gossip means that you've got to be mature enough to go talk to the person. How many people come to me and say, this person did this and this person did that? Can you believe? And I'm like, have you, have you spoken to them? And 100% of the time, no. So nobody's doing the Bible, but we want God to bless it. Listen, if you've got some, something that, that you feel that another believer, listen to me, it's not even your responsibility to come get me. Matthew 18 is pretty clear. You're like, what's Matthew 18 say? Please go read it. Because none of y'all do it. I'm doing a real good job today. Um, none of you do it. We all want to talk about the problem instead of going to have a grown-up conversation. So if you got something that you, you think someone has done something to hurt you or rub you the wrong way or something's wrong, Matthew 18 says you go to them personally, you sit down, you have a conversation. And listen, if that don't work, then you go get somebody else to go back with you and you try a second time. There are steps to it. But you know why we don't? We, we, we would much rather sit around and gossip and tear someone's reputation all to shreds instead of just doing what the Bible says. I've said it all year, I'm gonna keep saying, can we please just get back to doing what the good book says? It'll save us a lot of pain, a lot of heartache. Just go be a big girl, go be a big boy, have a tough talk, the Holy Spirit will help you. Secondly, watch your gossip. Secondly, watch your emotions. What does Paul say? He said, be angry and do not sin. What he doesn't say is don't be angry. He doesn't say that. He didn't say don't be angry. He said, don't. He said, be angry and do not sin. And a lot of religious people, they think that there's two buckets of emotions, good emotions and bad emotions. And it's not. God has given us all the emotions. At the end of the day, we're just not to be led by our emotions. All right? Choices lead, feelings follow. Right? And so we, we're not going to sin because of our anger. The question is whether or not the emotions are driving us towards holiness or unholiness. And some people will say, well, anger, that's a bad emotion. No, you can use anger to do good things. There's countless stories of people who got angry. There's, I forget the lady's name, but she had a child that was killed by a drunk driver, and she started a whole movement out of her anger and pain to help keep people safe from drunk drivers. Her anger motivated her to do something positive. So we can be angry, but do not sin in our anger. I love what Exodus 34 and six says. It says that our God is slow to anger. In other words, God has a long wick. He's not always on the threshold of erupting, of losing it. That, that God gets anger, angry, but he has the ability to control his anger. Listen, you may feel like you can't control your anger, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. So watch your gossip, watch your emotions. Number three, watch your clock. What's that mean? Paul said, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's an agrarian society where you would get up with the sun, and you would go to bed with the sun. 
They didn't have electricity, so when the sun came up, time to go to work. Sun went down, time to go to bed. And Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And me and Karen, we're good at this one. You know, sometimes we, 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 we bring this scripture into, we don't have arguments, it's just disagreements. Y'all are supposed to smile right there. Right? And so we're not gonna let the sun go down on the anger. Now, we always get through it. Sometimes we just don't sleep for seven or eight days. Right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, but a lot of times, what, what, what is Paul communicating? He's saying, don't delay what you can make right. Now, that doesn't mean you can't say, I need a time out. I need to go pray. I need to process my emotions. But go do that and then come back and have a conversation. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Number four, he said, watch your enemy. He says, give no opportunity to the devil. This is where Christian instruction is different than non-Christian instruction. If you're dealing with the issues of bitterness, strained relationships, and unforgiveness, um, and you're dealing with secular uh, counselors or psychology, they're, they're, they can give you a lot of tips, and they can give you some principles, but they're not going to talk to you about Satan and demons. But how many know a lot of the conflict in your life, it's, it, Satan is, that, is the focal point of it. Demons are involved. You know, if you go to your psychologist and they're a secular, and you say, I need to talk to you because the demon's messing with me, they're going to say, get out, I can't help you. Aren't you thankful that in the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if it is the devil, we can take authority over him, cast him out, and move on in victory? And listen, Satan loves when Christians shoot other Christians. It saves him a bullet. And it damages God's church. All because we don't watch our gossip watch our emotions, watch the clock, and we give the devil an opportunity. The fifth thing he said, he says, watch your hands. He said, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What do you do with your hands when you're bitter? Do you punch something? Do you slam doors? Do you peel out? drive off in, a, in rage and anger? What are you doing with your hands? God says, do something constructive. Watch your hands. Do, do something constructive, not destructive. Number six, watch your mouth. He tells us in that same passage, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. How do I know if something is corrupt when I'm speaking it. How, how do I know if it's a corrupt thing? It's not about, if it's not corrupt, then it's not about you getting your hurt out. It's about you extending grace to others. In so many environments, we are working so hard to get our hurt out, not understanding that we're only providing an opportunity for others to stumble. Because it's not about our healing, it's not about forgiveness, it's about I'm the victim, I'm hurt, do you know what they did? 
oh, they did that to you. Oh, you've been through that before. And we start gathering people to feel the same way we feel. And Paul says, when that's going on, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Y'all getting anything out of this? Because it's really, really quiet in this Presbyterian church. When you're bitter against someone, you tend, uh, let me just say this, I'm gonna move on. When you're bitter against someone, you tend to nickname them. You come up with other names for them. When we love people, we often nickname them. When we hate people, we often nickname them. And instead of referring to them by their name or their true identity, we, we have other names for them. That is a sign of bitterness of our own soul. Listen, I said at the beginning of this message, this is the thing I've had to deal with probably the most in 20 some years of ministry, is the bitterness of others and even the bitterness of my own soul. Because every day, the enemy will give you an opportunity to be bitter, to suck the very life of God out of you, to drain you, to deplete you, to get your focus off. See, what we don't understand about this, this verse that I read to you in Proverbs a little bit ago, when he, when he talks about, you know, without wood, the fire goes out. And, and then he, he talks about how the gossip will, will die down, the, the quarrel will end if we'll stop it, right? Like, we, we don't bring wood to the fire, we, we're bringing water to it to put it out. The writer of Hebrews, which many believe is also the Apostle Paul, he says that as Christians in the church, we have to dig up the root of bitterness. And what he's saying is that bitterness has roots. And forgiveness, listen to me, forgiveness is the shovel that digs up the root of bitterness. You can't dig up the root of bitterness without extending forgiveness to the person who hurt you. It's the only way. It's the only way we can move past it. And so he ends that, that section of scriptures. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. Again, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Bitterness is the spark. It's the spark that starts this negative fire. Then you got wrath. And wrath takes the spark and turns it into a flame. Bitterness being the spark, wrath is the first flame. Now through gossip, you are literally, if you've ever built a campfire, you are now breathing on it. You're breathing on it, you're giving life to this fire. Anger is where you officially have a small fire. Clamor is where the fire is now growing, it's warm, it's, it's providing heat to those that are around it. And slander is where you got a nice hot fire, the coals are now burning. And a lot of times what happens is, is the bitterness, the thing that happened was just a spark, but because of slander, because of clamor, because of gossip, because of malice, because of all these things, we, have a, we got a stinking forest fire and all we wanna talk about is the spark and not talk about the next seven steps had nothing to do with what was done to us, but steps that we took to burn the whole mountain down. 
We breathed on it. We gave life to it. We didn't move past it. They're responsible for their sin, but you're responsible for your bitterness. And at the end of the day, forgiven people, forgive. Forgiven people, forgive. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, he said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, he says, I want you to forgive them. I want you to throw water on that fire. You can't do that in your own strength, but you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. As the worship team comes, I'm gonna close with a few things. I got five more pages of notes, but I'm gonna spare you due to time. Um, was Jesus ever sinned against? Yes. Did Jesus ever sin against anyone? No. So he's the most innocent victim who has ever lived. Did Jesus get bitter? No, as a matter of fact, from the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. While it was happening, he was releasing forgiveness. And it takes a miracle. I'm gonna, I wanna say this very strong. It takes a miracle for a bitter victim to forgive and the name of the miracle is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the grace you need to forgive those that have wronged you. See, for, sin is not just breaking God's laws. Sin, yeah, it, sin is breaking God's laws, but sin's deeper than that. It's actually breaking God's heart. This is the difference between religion and relationship. Get in religion, oh, I broke his law, okay. I'm gonna keep breaking it. But when you're close to Jesus and you're close to the Holy Spirit, it's not just a law, now you know you've grieved his heart. And I wonder how many Christians are walking around with bitterness and unforgiveness, literally grieving the heart of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He is a real person, the third person of the Trinity. And he wants to know you in an intimate way. But if we continue to promote gossip and bitterness and malice and clamor and all these things that Paul is writing about here, we're grieving the heart of God. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that the sin of the people had become so, so big during that time that it grieved God that he had even made man. Why? Because his heart was broken. I don't know about you, but I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve Him. I don't want to break His heart. I want the Holy Spirit to be welcome here, to do whatever He wants to do in the lives of every single person. But that means we got to be willing to let some things go that maybe we've held on to for a long time. And I want to say something right here this year as we've navigated deliverance and finding freedom. Some people don't like the word deliverance because they think of that movie, Deliverance. God, it's fine. But we're helping people find freedom. And, and many times when we help people find freedom and we're praying and we're taking authority over demonic strongholds in that person's life, life and we're casting devils out of them. This year I have very numerous times 
you get to the end and it's like there's still something there. Like everything's left, but there's still something there. And you know what it is? A lot of times, the last one to go, there's a root of bitterness. There's unforgiveness. Listen to me. All this stuff I just preached about opens up the door for the demonic to have legal access into your life. You say, well, it's no big deal to hold on to a little bitterness. It is because you've now invited demons to take up residence in your mind and in your heart. You say, well, I'm a Christian. It don't matter. They don't care if you're Christian or not Christian. If they have a legal right to be there, they come. I'm saying, let's close the doors. Let's get free from it. Listen, be the kind of Christian that if there's gossip happening, you're the one who shuts it down. Let them get mad at you. A lot of us, we don't have any backbone. So when the gossip happens, we just kind of sit there. Oh, I didn't say it. But if you listen to it, you're as guilty as the people who said it. That is good. Stand with me all over the room. Let me tell you some things. Y'all can come get this thing. That's Nick today. Nick, not Nick. There's a few things. I want to help some people because some of you are struggling right now. Okay, forgiveness. I, I get it. I need to forgive. I need to let it go. It's either bitterness or forgiveness. Let me give you seven things bitter that forgiveness is. I'm just going to list them. Number one, forgiveness is canceling a debt owed to you. Okay? That means you're going to cancel the debt. They no longer owe you. Secondly, forgiveness is removing the control that the offender has over you. If you have unforgiveness, you've given another person control over you, and it ain't the Holy Spirit. Number three, forgiveness is giving a gift to yourself and to your offender. Number four, forgiveness is forsaking revenge. Romans 12, 19, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Listen, if you have truly been wrong, you don't have to tell everybody you've been wrong. God knows it. And vengeance is his. And he does repay. Number five, forgiveness is leaving ultimate justice in God's hands. Number six, forgiveness is an ongoing process. In other words, you'll forgive them once, but you may need to forgive them again. How many of you got to continually to choose that? You got you to keep choosing forgiveness. Seven, forgiveness is wanting good for your offender. Let me give you seven things it's not, and then we'll pray. Forgiveness is not denying that sin occurred or diminishing its evil. It's not pretending it didn't happen. Number two, forgiveness is not enabling sin. Number three, forgiveness is not necessarily a response to an apology because we have to forgive whether they apologize or not. That apology may never come. In my shoes, a lot of times the apology never comes. It's a, it's a choice to forgive without an apology. Forgiveness is not covering up crimes committed against us. I heard a story of a pastor who told a woman many years ago, she said, in, in, in this relationship, the husband was abusive. The pastor said to the woman, you need to forgive him and then call the police. And she said, well, I can't forgive him and call the police. And he said, yes, you can, 
because he's committed a crime. You can forgive him, but he still needs to be brought to justice for the crime he's committed. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. Many religious people like to quote Jeremiah 31, 34, where it says, I remember their sins no more. And we want to say things like, just forget it. Well, we all have a memory and a brain. It's hard to just forget what happened. So it's not about forgetting. This is very important. Please hear this one. I know it's a lot of content today, but you can go back and listen and get get all the details. Number six, forgiveness is not trust. Husband commits adultery on his wife. He says he's sorry. She says, I forgive you. Do they pick up exactly where they left off? No, because it takes a long time to build trust, but how many know you can destroy trust overnight? There's people that I have forgiven, but I don't trust them. I love them, I can pray for them, but I would never let them in my circle again. And that is not unforgiveness. That's called wisdom. Number seven, forgiveness is not reconciliation. It takes one person to repent, It takes one person to forgive. But if you want reconciliation, how many of you? All you can do is hold your hand out, and they can either accept that or reject that. It takes two people to reconcile. So if you've made peace, you've released them, it's no longer your responsibility. Your hands are clean. You're good with God. The Holy Spirit's not grieved. God's ready to bless your life. You're ready to move forward in everything God has for you, whether they reconcile or not. How many receive something from God's Word today? I give this thing. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute as the compass directors come forward, our prayer team comes forward. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute. If you're in this room today and you're not in right relationship with Jesus, you're not in right relationship with Jesus, you know there's sin in your life. You know there's things you need to repent of and move. You need to move from them, turn from them and move forward. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up and say you're talking to me and I wanna get some things under the blood today. Come on, who, who am I talking to? am I talking to? Anyone at all? Say so you're talking to me today. I need to make some things right. Anyone at all? I see that hand back there. God bless you. God bless you. Compass directors, you can make your way over there and just lead them through a prayer of repentance. Thank God for what he's doing. I'm going to ask us to do something together this morning because we're going to worship together. We're going to pray for some people, but I want everybody to make a move today. Everybody to get out of your seat and I want us to all just get as close as we can, as close as we can. Come on, just move. And we're going to, we're going to sing this last song together and allow the Holy Spirit. This is going to be our close. Don't forget after this song and we're done for the day to stop by the tables, get signed up, do all the things I asked you earlier. But let's spend some time in God's presence. And if the Holy Spirit is dealing with us about anything at all, let this be a moment that we get all that mess out and we move forward in the grace of God. Anybody thankful to be here today? God bless you all. Let's sing. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.